0: Amen. All right. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day uh, to all the moms. I hope you get spoiled today. And if you don't, bring it up all year until next year. So that you ensure that you do next year. Um, thanks so much for all your prayers. COVID, um, man, I'm just a baby, I guess. Because uh, Raquel and the kids were like, oh, okay, I feel a little bit sick. And then they were fine. Uh, but it took me out for, like, sidelined me for nine days. So um, thankfully back on my feet and back at it and back with you, missed you all a ton. Um, and I'm really excited to get into our new series in Proverbs. Uh, real quick before we do that, just a quick announcement for next Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, if you are a member or a regular and you call Reach Montreal home, Um, We're not going to shuffle out right after service. We're going to stick around for a few minutes. So we'll close our service, and then we'll, like, turn the camera off and then back on. Um, And then we're just going to have a few minutes, and we have uh, the elder team has an announcement. It's something that we want to get out in-house as a church, out loud together, um, and give you an idea of what the several several next months look like over the summer, okay? So just keep that on on your calendar. If you can't stick around or you have other um, things to attend to, that's okay. We will have it um, recorded for us all, okay? Good? Awesome. So, book of Proverbs. Now, I, um, I didn't do a Bible reading plan this year. Okay, so I, like, I'm your pastor, and I'm just confessing to you right now, okay? I didn't do a Bible reading plan because what I was doing this year is a slow sit and digesting of the book of Proverbs. And so rather than try to rip through like Genesis to Revelation uh, throughout this year, I've been doing a really slow read of Proverbs. So hopefully we can all glean from me trying to become more wise by sitting in Proverbs. But the reason why is that personally, I think that in the age that we're in, and especially in these last couple years, uh, there has been unending amounts of foolishness. Right, unending examples of fools and foolery and some of it in our own hearts and our own mind in our own reactions and decisions and lots out there in culture and so what we're gonna do over the next eight weeks is we're not gonna obviously be able to go like verse by verse through Proverbs and most of you know Proverbs is like a collection of sayings right so it's kind of like revisiting stuff over and over again you'll see one proverb that says something then a few verses later it'll be the exact same thing but said a bit differently right and so what I, I do want to encourage though, is as we go through the next eight weeks, do your best to read through the whole book of Proverbs if you can, okay? I I really encourage it because I do think you'll glean a lot more um, from the book, and we'll be able to hopefully apply it well as we go through and teach through it, okay? So I want to start, though, and just with an observation. I mean, everyone, regardless of where you're at on spirituality or religious beliefs or faith, everybody wants to win at life, right? Everyone can be like, amen, okay? No one's goal is to just suck. Just suck at life and suck at what we do. Like, we all want to win. Everybody has a desire and, and a drive to succeed. That's why, you know, life hacks and tips, and that's why self, the self-help section is the biggest section in every bookstore, because we want to actually succeed. There's something in us that wants to win. Dr. Phil... Dr. Oz, Dr. Oprah, they've all made millions and millions of dollars doing exactly that. We're going to sit down and tell you how not to suck and how instead to win and succeed, right? Giving us the best practices, methods to win at life. But we have to think for a minute and really sit with our definition of success and winning. And how do we actually know that we're succeeding? What do we look to and trust to tell us that that's actually a target even worth hitting? Because sometimes in life you can hit the bullseye of the wrong target and you lose, right? You want to actually be hitting the right target. We want to pursue things that truly do align with true success. Now, the question of do the rich and famous always give us the best advice. Is celebrity culture a perfect example and exhibit of wisdom? Is the wisdom of our day and our culture actual wisdom that lasts? And then maybe even more personally, the question can be put to you and I, who do you actually turn to for advice? When you just think about your day-to-day, now not not theoretically, don't give me like the Sunday school answer, Jesus, right? It's like, who do you trust and go to for advice? The Bible. It's like, yes, amen, I'm with you. But really, practically, when you really take stock of your week and your day-to-day life, where do you turn to most? Whose opinion do you, do you look to? Uh, who, who do you allow to correct you? Are you teachable? Who do you trust to learn from? Do you have those voices that you've identified? Maybe some of you, it's yourself. It's like, well, I'm the only person that I can trust. So it's, it's, all, it's me. I'm going to do the best that I can, live my best life, live my truth. Therefore, I'm wise, right? Maybe it's a podcaster. It's a, it's a public figure. It's a friend. It's, it's a family member. But it's important to take stock of these questions, because looking and saying, what priorities in the right order actually lead to life lived in the right order? What does it look like to succeed and win? The book of Proverbs is going to help us answer a lot of those questions and more. Now, Proverbs is so practical that theologians and commentators have really struggled with it because there's so much said in it that doesn't have, like, a Christianese God tagged to the end of it, right? Like, some of the things are just so, like, yeah, that's common sense. That makes sense, right? And so sometimes they've struggled with it because it's full of sayings and statements about friendship and family and romance and sexuality, conflict resolution, Anger, emotional health, self-awareness, financial and time management skills, our speech, our interpersonal relationships. It really gets at emotional health and maturity and emotional intelligence. It really encourages self-awareness and self-examination. So as you read through the book, as we go, you'll see a lot of that, and you maybe be wondering, like, "Oh, how do I even like frame this?" That's what we're going to do today. We're going to intro the book, and we're going to try to frame everything so that as we go through and look at specific sayings throughout Proverbs, we have a bit of a backdrop. Okay. Now, all of us are familiar with proverbs. Some of us, depending on our cultural backgrounds, each culture has their own proverbs. Um, I mean, growing up, I heard all sorts of them. All that glitters isn't gold. You make your bed, you lie in it. A picture is worth a thousand words. Actions speak louder than words. Laughter is the best. Okay, so we, we are just, they just float around. On the job site growing up, doing construction with my dad, there would be ones and they're just burned. Like I, I just, they're burned into my mind so much that I'm just so surprised when and where they come out. But on the job site, like, you're doing floors and you're, you're doing people's kitchens and bathrooms and renovating. My dad would always say, it can't fall if it's already on the ground. I'm like, mmm, so wise, Dad. So wise. But it kept me from using hammers and putting them on counters so that the, it couldn't fall and break the tiles that we just installed, right? Or um, another one on the job site was, how do you eat an elephant? I don't know, Dad. How? One bite at a time. Thank you, Dad. So wise, right? <laughs> all day. I could keep going. I'm not going to. Just for his, like, to, to protect his dignity, right? All day on the job site, these little pithy, strange things, some of them right from Northern Ireland, like, just like, it just got so, anyway. So I'm the man I am because of that, okay? But we all, we're all familiar with Proverbs, They kind of give that, just kind of like common sense, practical advice on things that work, right? It's like, oh yeah, okay, things work like this. Now, Proverbs is full of those, but Proverbs is much more than just life hacks. Proverbs actually doesn't just give us things or methods. Proverbs presents us with a posture to live all of life from. And that's really important, because we can have all the life hacks we want, all the self-help tips, we can read all the books on how to be awesome and win at life, but... It's easier said than done. Another proverb. (laughs) Right? So we need something different internally, a posture, a temperament. We need an identity change that will allow us to even live the life that Proverbs is presenting to us. What you're going to see throughout Proverbs is that it's almost like it's taken the Ten Commandments and the law of God, the moral and ethical quality of God, and brought it all the way down into 31 chapters. And it's just kind of boiled it all down and pushed out the Ten Commandments into every area of life. I'll give you a few examples. It invites us to speak less and listen more. It invites us to live open-handed and generous with what we've been entrusted with. It invites us to self-control. Self-control in an age of indulgence and muchness. It talks about using our time intentionally instead of wasting our time and doom scrolling and binging, right? It talks about rest and patience and being unhurried in a very panicked and anxious day. It encourages us to be overconfident in who God is and not confident in what we're capable of. It encourages us to lean into correction and discipline and constructive criticism instead of insulating ourselves from the voices of others and insulating ourselves from accountability that's not easy right it invites us to step outside of echo chambers that we want to just kind of exist in and get rid of confirmation bias and live exposed to diverse ideas and thoughts and it wants us to consider ancient wisdom over novelty and hot takes this one's really hard for us because Twitter is not the place you go to for wisdom, but man, it's the place you go to for a hot take, right? And we are a culture of hot takes. We're a culture of hot takes and then cancel if the hot take doesn't align with what my preconceived notion or confirmation bias would have. But it actually encourages us not to just dismiss ancient wisdom, but to rely on it. And it's also very practical because it builds on a very fundamental thing that we're gonna see today. It builds on the fundamental belief that God is the author of life, and he invites us into understanding his wisdom, right? So it actually makes big, grand statements about there's an order to the cosmos. And if we live in step with that order, we live wisely. If we live against the grain of that order, we fall into the way of the fool. We're going to look at that next week a little bit more. But it's interesting because God is the author of this and he sets it up with order and wisdom. So we're invited to work with or against that. Life goes well when we live in step with the order of creation with the wise God behind it. Life doesn't go well when we fail to do that. When we work against the grain of that. It invites us to examine our habits, our priorities, our decisions, and grow in wisdom. It also, last bit of intro, and then we'll jump in. It also forces us to break down this compartmentalized life that we're tempted to live. Because so much of this isn't like hyper-spiritual stuff. It's so practical. It's like non-spiritual. But what Proverbs wants, to see, wants us to see is that we can't live compartmentalized, sacred, or secular divided lives. That there's no such thing as spiritual and non-spiritual issues, but that everything is spiritual. That there's no such thing as a compartmentalized life following after God's wisdom. That you and I actually show what we believe to be true and to, be, to believe about God in the way that we live ordinary, everyday life. So this isn't more spiritual than washing the dishes, or going to work, or walking your dog, or paying your bills. Proverbs shows up and says all of that, all of life, everyday life, the ordinary stuff of life, which is what makes up life, is actually far more spiritual than we give it credit for. And so Proverbs wants to encourage that. And it also shows us that some things aren't necessarily sinful, they're just dumb. Right? Like, you play dumb games, you get dumb prizes. Amen? Sometimes, like, Proverbs keeps us from thinking life just happens to us. It's like, oh, man, life no, 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 like we, we make life happen, right? Like, like there's things outside of our control. Absolutely. But you reap what you sow. Like, like we make our bed, we lie in it. There's consequences to decisions or lack of decisions. And Proverbs wants to put that accountability in our lap and then invite us to evaluate how much we're even paying attention to that reality. Like I think it's so funny, like as a pastor, it's like, you know, oh, is this sinful, pastor? I don't know, it's stupid. Right, like, I, it's like smoking. Is that sinful? Well, I, I mean, I can't show you a verse of like, "Hear ye, hear ye, thou shalt not smoke." It's definitely dumb, right? Like, so we want to live in wisdom. It's like uh, I punched the wall after my team, which you call your team that you don't play on, right? Yeah, I punched, I punched the wall after an OT loss. Was that sinful? I don't know. It was stupid for sure. And now you have thirty dollars drywall repair, right? Like, like life. That's life. Amen. And Proverbs wants that to be the case. Like, it wants us to really be able to examine our day-to-day, our time, our energy, our decisions, and be like, listen, play dumb games, win dumb prizes. Live in the way of wisdom, you will grow in wisdom. That's, what, that's the invitation, okay? Good. So Proverbs. Uh, Allison actually alluded to this. Proverbs is not the only uh, book that makes up wisdom literature in the Bible, right? There's several books in the Bible that are just deemed wisdom literature. And so it's all sorts of sayings and kind of like piffy statements about life, practically. That includes Ecclesiastes, uh, Song of Solomon, and Job, as well as the book of Proverbs. And what, it, what they're doing is they're giving different angles on the good life, right? But bigger than that, this is what's really important, bigger than that, all over Scripture, we're told that the point of Scripture is wisdom, Okay? The point of Scripture, the, the thing that the Word of God should do to us when we rightly understand it, is make us wise. Not to make us religious, not to make us legalistic or moral, not to make us grumpy, right? But to make us wise. And it's everywhere. Psalm nineteen seven, the law of the Lord, which again is just shorthand for the Word of God, the law of the Lord is perfect, making you wise. Second Timothy 3.15, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, it's not just Proverbs, but it's actually the whole Bible that wisdom is what the Word of God should do to us. Are you with me on that? Like, that should be the goal, that we should grow in wisdom. That's the point. Okay? So with that in mind, let's jump in. Chapter 1, the first seven verses, and that's all we'll probably do today because it's Mother's Day. All right? That's a grace. That's a grace to you. Okay? All right. Chapter 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel. He's a big deal. He was super smart until he wasn't. All right? If you don't know the story, go back and read it. He was wise until he was the fool. Okay? For learning wisdom and discipline, and for understanding insightful sayings. For receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity. For teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, that's immature, the young. Knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase learning. And let a discerning person obtain guidance. For understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. Okay, There's a few things happening here, but right in the beginning, if you notice, the proverb starts and tells us what Proverbs is for. It's like, here, here's why these are written down, so that this is able to happen. So it's, also, it's the title, Proverbs, right? But it's also the whole purpose of the collection of sayings in there, okay? Now, notice what wisdom is not right away. It's not more information, right? It's not the wise read lots of books. Right? If you notice, it wasn't just knowledge, it was experiential knowledge that was being hit on there. It was insight, it was discernment, it was being able to navigate life in a way that works. Right? There's something very pragmatic and practical about this when we understand wisdom. It's experiential. And where does wisdom start? And Allison again alluded to this in her prayer this morning. It starts with the fear of the Lord. Later in chapter 9, we see it said even more explicitly that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, fear of the Lord is is strange because you think, oh, i got to be afraid of the Lord. Well, no, fearing the Lord is different than being afraid of the Lord. If you remember the story in the garden, everything starts well. There is order. There is order and wisdom. Why? Because there is fear of the Lord. There is reverence of God. That he is put first. He is primary above all things. Then what happens? We become afraid of God, right? If you know, remember the story, they run and hide because they're afraid of God. So remember, fear of the Lord and being afraid of God are not the same thing. The fear of the Lord is reverence. It's it's awe. It's delight. It's just being amazed by who God is. That's what fearing the Lord looks like. And wisdom comes from that posture. Now think about it. Have you ever met who's met like a really big deal celebrity before? I just like walked into like the elevator and like Shaq has been standing there or something. Like, anyone? You don't have to tell me who it is. Yeah, okay, like, I guess we got to get out more. I don't know. Like, usually more hands go up, right? Just like, I, I've had a few, few uh, run-ins with like celebrities, like big deals. Whether it's a- athletes or authors, most of mine are authors and nerds that you don't care about. I'm just like, oh my gosh, he's here, right? But most of my favorite authors are dead also, so I don't usually meet them, but... Um, whoever it is, it's, it's a hero of yours, whatever, a celebrity, someone that you respect, right? If you run into them and you meet them, like, you get nervous, right? Like, your limbic system gets all engaged, like, you get all hot, like, blood is flowing all different, right? Or you forget your name, you're just like, hey, oh, I love your stuff, my name's Dave, uh, Dustin, Douglas, uh, right? Like, because you're in awe of the person, right? There's something about being in their presence that actually leaves you undone. That's what the fear of the Lord looks like, and that's why wisdom starts there because it's a posture to be had. It's a temperament. It's a right view of yourself, starting with the right view of God. And when we get that twisted and backwards, wisdom is not what we're able to see as the fruit of our life. It is not what we end up sowing from the reaping of how we live. Now, the word wisdom in both the Greek and the Hebrew, I'll save you saying them, because actually we can say it in Hebrew because it's fun. It's hachma. Say hachma. Yeah, yeah, give it some throat. Yeah, awesome, COVID, amen. Okay, it, 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 it means, it doesn't just mean knowledge and information, it means, it means skill. It means competence. It, it's, it's learning for life. It means understanding with skillful activity, right? And, and again, some of you are skilled at something that I'm not, and, and I've seen you do it, or I've watched you do something, and I'm like, wow, Like, I'm jealous immediately, because I'm like, I wish I could do that. That's amazing. Well, there's wisdom in that. There's wisdom because there's time and energy, the hours that have been put into mastering a craft. And that's why artists and musicians and actors, like, that's why we're so in awe of their ability to do what they do. Because there's something so concentrated about the amount of gifting and talent that they have in that area, and that is wisdom. Now, wisdom is actually mastering the craft of life. Mastering the art of life with the Word of God as our master class on how to live life. How to prioritize things in the right order. If we have things in the right order, we'll experience order in our life. It'll push against chaos and destruction and brokenness because we're pursuing wisdom. Now, the Bible is full of examples of wise people, but more full of examples of fools. People making foolish decisions and enjoying foolish consequences, right? Especially in narrative in the Old Testament. It's like a long game, right? You see Abraham do something and you're like, oh, that's a good thing. Three pages later, you're like, what, right? And then you see, like, generational stuff come out of that. You're like, that was really dumb, right? Again, you play dumb games, get dumb prizes, right? Come on, Abraham. Solomon, great example of, like, wisest person in the world wrote this many proverbs and songs and whatever, right? Had David play them on his harp and whatever, right? Um, and and it's, it's amazing just to be able to look at the end of his life and be like, but he didn't finish well. He finished like a fool. So even those who are wise sometimes, or in some ways, can actually still end like a fool and make foolish decisions and have foolish consequences. And if you notice in verse three, the point of all that, all of those different things about wisdom, is righteousness, justice, and integrity. Righteousness, justice, and integrity. Wisdom shows up, you know it's wisdom, when it actually shows up in ethical, moral, and relational action. It's not wisdom if you just sit and pontificate and quote stuff. That's not wisdom, that's information. You can have knowledge and not be wise. There are people with more degrees than Fahrenheit who are utter fools. Some of the most celebrated and famous and rich and powerful are fools. And that's why it's so upside down and backwards, the way that Proverbs lays this out for us, the path towards wisdom and the path towards folly. We'll look at that next week. But it takes it and epitomizes it as woman, woman, woman wisdom and woman folly and says we can go after one or the other. But wisdom shows up in the active pursuit of competence, of growth, of maturity, of humility, of integrity. And today, I know, we we man we think information will lead to wisdom, but it doesn't necessarily do that. Like, we live in the information age. And not just the information age, we live in an information overload age. 188 million emails, like I don't like three emails, but like 188 million emails get sent every single minute. What? That's a nightmare. That sounds like hell, right? I think we're there, I think we're in it, okay? 18.1 million text messages every minute. Some of you, this minute, right now, you just sent one. Congratulations, you're a part of that number. 4.5 4.5 million videos are uploaded to YouTube every single minute. I hope you're full of anxiety, and now you gotta get home and catch up, okay? No, just kidding. Don't do that. Okay, but we live in information overload, yet we are not becoming more wise. In fact, we are actually becoming less wise. We are becoming less competent. We're, we are people with less integrity. With less morals and values that we live by. We live in a culture of too much, too fast, too self-centered, which is Proverbs' definition of the fool. So we have to slow down enough to understand what's happening here. There's an awesome... Uh, Brett McCracken wrote, wrote a book called The Wisdom Pyramid and I would encourage you well, I don't think it's in the bookstore we'll we get it in the bookstore though but I would encourage you it's just a really short book about how to prioritize information intake like a diet you guys remember the food pyramid where like dairy was always at the top and now they're like don't put it at the top anymore we just we lied to you right but now he, he, he takes the wisdom pyramid and he does information intake like a diet like listen you're going to live out what you intake what you bring in and so he breaks it all down and here's what he says I'll throw it up here for you Our world has more information, but less and less wisdom. More data, but less clarity. More stimulation, but less synthesis, meaning ability to understand it. More distraction, less stillness. More pontificating, less pondering. More opinion, less research. More speaking, less listening. More to look at, less to see. More amusements, less Joy. Listen to this. There is more, but we are less, and we all feel it. Everyone has a megaphone, but no one has a filter. Except for the filter that you, like, just walk around with it. Which again, like, dumb, right? Like, not sinful necessarily. Kind of stupid though, right? Like, just, we're a culture of, like, like kind of dumb, right? I can't give you a verse for it. Just trust me, all right? But but we are less. There is more, but we are less, okay? Now Proverbs calls us, right? It says that wisdom calls aloud in the street, that everyone's welcome and invited to come and understand wisdom. But that comes through stillness. It comes in quiet. It comes through silence and solitude and being in co- the company of those who are wise. Uh, my grandparents always said something when I, when I was growing up. It was like, show me who your friends are and I'll show you who you are. And there's something to that in the book of Proverbs, of like, you going to go to the way of the fool? Listen, here's how it's going to look, and here's what your friends are going to sound like, and here's what you're all going to be about, and here's what you're going to do with your time and your money, and you're a fool because you're with them, right? But here's how to walk in wisdom. Not perfectly, but here's how to be transformed in the way of wisdom. And Proverbs gives us those two paths. Now, I'll give you a f- if you notice in the first few verses, there was all sorts of words thrown around. Knowledge, discernment, insight, all that, okay? you got to understand what's happening there. That's all wisdom, okay? So we have like a package. It's like a Mother's Day gift, right? And you open it, and there's all sorts of like synonyms of wisdom inside that gift, okay? I'm going to highlight three of them because you're going to see them come up over the course of the book, and they're important, okay? And then we'll apply something, and we'll be done. But in the first few verses, you see the purpose of the book, but then also synonyms for wisdom. The first is instruction, It's training okay this word is discipline it's a quality of character it's who we're becoming okay so it's it's who we're becoming that wisdom itself is learned yes but it's practiced in the classroom of life that that you actually learn more about wisdom by failing to attain it right and that actually fosters humility that fosters correction that fosters being correctable and being teachable and living In the fear of the Lord knowing that we're not God and we don't have to be then that's how training and instruction and discipline happens okay how you respond to correction is a really good indicator of if you're walking in the way of the wise some of you don't even have a voice or pursue or seek out a voice and let somebody in to correct you but if you're not seeing growth in how you respond when you're corrected you may not be walking in the way of wisdom If you are only angry and hurt and defensive when you are corrected then that is not the way of the wise that is the way of the fool that is folly because in that moment you're pretending to be god not living with the fear of the lord okay the second word that you saw here was understanding and that's the word insight that's where we get discernment i know depending on what christian circles you grew up in discernment's like a spidey sense like a tingle it's just like i'm discerning something Weird vibes, I'm discerning. And it's like, that's not, that's not what discernment is, biblically. Like, like, discernment is more than that. Yeah, there's times where the Lord can maybe give us a bit of like a spidey sense or whatever. Yeah, sure. But what discernment really is, is the ability to survey options and make the right decisions. That's discernment. It's actually survey what way I could go. Here's the eleven things that could happen. Here's the six things. Here's the four things. Whatever it is, and discernment gives me the ability to actually distinguish between good, better, and best. You tracking? That makes sense. That's wisdom. Wisdom leads to discernment. That's one of the fruit of wisdom is discernment. Discernment also means that we have an ability to recognize that life isn't just black and white. This is really important. because we have entire Christian circles that make like doctrinal black and whiteness the whole point of Christianity. Discernment allows you to actually understand gray and be able to take things that look clean and polar and actually massage something with insight. That's discernment. It's to be able to actually recognize multiple courses and of action and nuance and when others only see an either or in life. We need more of that today. Not everything is either or. Not everything is us or them. Not everything is otherizing. There is so much gray. There is so much nuance. There is so much human relationship that happens in between two things that look so clean and polar. The second that that is set set up like that, I guarantee you there's an agenda and there's probably a better middle. Amen? So you have to be wise to even discern that and be comfortable walking through the uncertainty of, ah. Uh, I, I love black and white stuff. I, I really do. Not just because I'm white and Raquel's black, but anyway. But I love things being black and white and clear. Like it's like, I, wanna, I want certainty. But that's not life. And that's not wisdom. And Proverbs allows us to sit in that. and allows us to pursue life in faith with the fear of the Lord. Okay. And third and finally, it says knowledge. Knowledge and learning depending on your your translation now. That's not information, but that's practical knowledge specifically of who God is It's God's character so that we can make godly decisions Okay, that's the third synonym and then in verse 5 if you notice what it says it says Increase and obtain wisdom. Okay, the truly wise man or woman knows that they know not right that's wisdom if you're the smartest person in every room, you're a fool If you only talk and give answers and defend and argue and never listen, you're a fool. That's literally the definition of the fool. That is the way of folly. So here, we're encouraged to understand that we're invited to to grow in wisdom, but that we're not done because we need to increase it more and obtain it more. That's the wise person. The wise person knows that they're not done learning. The wise, wise person knows that they need to be corrected more. The wise person knows that they need to continue to grow and mature in character and integrity. Are you with me on that? That's wisdom. Okay? So... This is a posture that we can have today. We can be invited in to experience today, but also develop over a lifetime, okay? And this is why—and we're going to hyperlink to the garden, all right? Ready? I'm back, baby. We're hyperlinking to the garden, okay? This is why wisdom literature, more than any other genre in the Bible, alludes to the garden, Okay? Here's why. Because the first two humans, we see God create things, order, no chaos, no destruction, no brokenness. Everything is where it's supposed to be and how it's supposed to be. And the first two humans are given two options. The way of wisdom with the tree of life, or the way of counterfeit wisdom with the tree of good and bad. Right? So if you notice how it's set up in Genesis, there's a tree of life, which is... God's goodness and his definition of right and good and true and beautiful. And then there's another option, another tree of counterfeit wisdom that would make us wise in our own eyes. Our definition of right and good and flourishing and beauty, we get to define that. And Proverbs takes us and sits us down in front of those two trees and then spells out for us what it looks like when we go one way after wisdom or one way after what we see to be wisdom in our own eyes. And it's just pulling all of those motifs from the garden. Uh, Proverbs 3:18 spells it out, and it says that wisdom is a tree of life for all who takes, and they are blessed. So it literally is showing us, like that is the point of the garden, narrative. that the point of Genesis is that we are invited to take of the tree of life and experience wisdom, order, peace and life from God. But there's another tree, right? There's a tree of knowledge of good and bad. There's two trees that are there. It looks beautiful. It looks lush and green and good, but it's a false tree of life. And what it does is it makes us good in our own eyes. It doesn't lead to life. It leads to chaos and destruction. And ultimately, in the garden, it leads to exile from God. It leads to wandering. It leads to us not knowing who we are. So we go and fabricate and manufacture who we are. If you remember, we've talked about this a bit, but serpents, snakes, were chaos creatures in the ancient world, right? They were symbols of wisdom. That's why pharaohs had big snakes on their awesome hats, right? Because it was like, look, I'm wise, I'm in power, I'm the boss, right? I tell you what's right and good and true. And so that's what's happening in the garden. We have a false, a counterfeit wisdom, a counterfeit way to attain power and life being offered to us. And Proverbs sits us down and says, you do too. We all do. True life. Wisdom is found in God's presence with true wisdom as a gift from God. Not to be taken for ourselves, but to be received. And that's the point of the garden. That when we go and take, it leads to chaos. But when we receive what God has given, it leads to life. Sin enters the story in Genesis by placing human beings and moral decisions defined by them at the center. Of what they would deem to be right and wrong at the center instead of God. But when God is at the center, order, beauty, life, right? Fruit, multiplication. But when we are, disorder, destruction, chaos, and death, okay? So that's the whole point. That's the whole point of Genesis, and that's what Proverbs is picking up on and bringing us and, like, transporting, teleporting us back there and sitting us down in front of those two trees. And it showcases all throughout the chapters what it looks like when we choose one way or the other. That we would either choose to be wise in our own eyes or we'd seek wisdom by living in light of who God is and what God says. That's the whole book of Proverbs. So pay attention to those two motifs as you go through and as you read. Because what we're gonna see is biblical wisdom is actually just the pursuit of order in every area of life. It's shalom. It's peace. It's everything being in the right place. Family. Family. Relationships, our speech, our words, our conduct, our government, power, leadership, marriage, parenting, decision-making, finances, it's all in there. Wisdom books in, in Scripture hit all of these over and over and over again. Old Testament um, theologian John Walton says, wisdom is the result. It happens when we perceive order, pursue it, preserve it, promote it, procure it, and practice it. You can tell he's a preacher as well because they were all peas, right? But that true wisdom actually finds its source and center in God, and that's why Proverbs starts us where it does. Next week, we're gonna look specifically at the way of the wise versus the way of the fool. And lots will be said of the fool. Okay? Now listen, this isn't like, trust me, I'm the fool. Like, I read this stuff, I'm like, yep, me, foolish right there, for sure, right? And then sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, that was wise. All right, cool, I'm killing it, right? Um, but, but throughout the book, we're going to be invited to understand the way of the fool and the way of the wise. Now, a lot is said about the fool, but the biggest thing about the fool, all throughout the book of Proverbs, is that they cannot imagine being wrong or mistaken. <laughs> Why? Because they're wise in their own They're not even interested in being corrected. They're not even interested in learning. They're not even interested in permanence because they're too interested in the trivial, right? That's what the fool looks like. They can't imagine being corrected. They don't put themselves in relationships where they're correctable. They only put themselves in relationships where they're the loudest voice in the room doing the correcting. That's the fool. The fool likes folly, we're told, and despises wisdom. And in uh, chapter 26, the fool goes back to foolishness over and over and over again like a dog to vomit. The fool is not painted very well. There's no restraint for the fool, only indulgence. There's lots about the fool wasting not only their own time, that's foolish, but also others. It's just like you just waste everyone's time all the time. Like every room you're in, you're exhausting, right? It's just, you're just so exhausting. That's the fool. There's also other words used like sluggard. That's a good word. Sluggard is a good we got to bring sluggard back, right? There's, the sluggard is also a fool, but the sluggard is full of excuses as to why they're always the exception to the rule. The sluggard is lazy, but really skilled at it. That's what's interesting about the sluggard. They're not just like Doritos and Mountain Dew and Netflix, right? But they're actually really, really good at manipulating things so that they don't necessarily look completely useless, but they actually are. And the only skill they have is convincing you that they're not entirely useless. That's the sluggard. I'm giving you all these portraits now so you see them, okay, as we, as we go through. It's important. The sluggard never finishes anything they start. Any sluggard-ish tendencies in the room, right? <laughs> so many hands went up. More than the celebrity question. We need to meet more celebrities and finish more things. That's, that's the takeaway today, okay? They're always the exception to the rule. They're restless and they're useless. That's the sluggard. And then the third one that we see, kind of the profile in Proverbs, is the mocker. Now this is Twitter, <laughs> okay? This is Facebook. The internet has created a platform for mockers. It's incredible, like it's really amazing when you go and actually read how Proverbs talks about the mocker, and then you go and you just like, I think I'm gonna delete social media, <laughs> right? Because you're like, what? Okay, so mockers are full of pride, always gaslighting, always posturing themselves, as the one who never needs to submit and only always needs to pontificate to everybody else about what is right and wise. Everything is an argument with the mocker. Everything is something to be won. Nothing's ever a conversation or just dialogue or just like being in the presence of each other and enjoying each other because their only agenda is to mock and make sure that they're right and everybody else is wrong. They're everywhere. Relationships aren't the point for them. They're only opportunities to be proven right. Their strategy is always and only to debunk everything and everyone to show themselves to be righteous and superior. That's the mocker. So, with all that we've talked about, about the way of the wise and all the synonyms for wisdom, the counterfeit of that is all of that. It's the sluggard. It's the fool. It's the mocker. So what we're invited to do, through Proverbs, is to look at our own life and be like, who do I look and sound like the most? Day to day. Not when I'm like at my best, okay? But when you're left alone, right? When, you, when you're left alone before you I mean, Proverbs 27, I reminded Gabriel of this this morning. Proverbs 27 has a verse, and it says, the one who raises their voice loudly to their neighbor in the morning will be cursed. Amen. You're like, yes, that is shut up before coffee. You're just like, so wise, right? And so the kids now, they're growing in wisdom because they will ask me, Daddy, have you finished your second coffee? And if, it is, if it's no, they wisely go and do something else until the second cup of coffee is finished. And then wisdom flourishes in the Borland home. It's incredible. The presence of the Lord, just like, whoa, whoa mm. Okay? But like, it's amazing how like Proverbs is just full of stuff like that. You're just like, yeah, don't talk so loud to me first thing in the morning. Stop it. Right? Like that's... If you have a neighbor like that, you're just like, I don't want you to be my neighbor, but I have to love my neighbor, because the Bible says so, right? And some of your neighbors are the person, like, in the bed beside you, or the room adjacent to your bedroom, right? It's amazing. I don't know why I said that, but it's there, okay? You can read it. You'll figure it out. So, how do we attain wisdom? Then we're going to close, right? We're almost done. How do we attain wisdom? What does it actually look like? Well, it's not by mustering up our best selves, Right? It's not by the newest Life Hacks. It's not Dr. Oprah helping us with how to be our best selves and live our truth. Because, here's why, the point of Proverbs and all of Scripture is, even when we know it's right, we do not have the ability to do it. We need more than knowledge of what is right. We need a right heart. We need more than just knowing what to do. We need the desire to do what is right. That doesn't come from mustering, that doesn't come from manufacturing, that doesn't come from white-knuckling control and deciding which path I want to go in, that's not how that happens. But it starts with a fear of the Lord, which is humility. We attain wisdom by knowing what we don't know, by having a posture of being correctable and teachable and humble and not needing to be impressive. Like how amazing is that, that the pressure for the gospel is that we don't even need to perform or be impressive? That's amazing. Where again, the way of the fool, the way of folly, is that you have to always be on, always perform, always make sure everyone is so impressed with you. And God's wisdom shows up and says, no, 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 you start with being impressed with me. Like you start with being in awe of me. That's wisdom. That's how wisdom comes. We see this all over the place. I'm going to quickly show us in the New Testament because Jesus... There's a lot of things Jesus stands out for, right? Remember, we just finished the Gospel of Mark. There's a lot of things that are impressive about Jesus. But more than anything, it's his wisdom. It's his wisdom. And that's really interesting. Because wisdom leads him to put himself up on a cross, which looks like losing, amen? Like, that doesn't look like wisdom. That looks like foolishness. But it's foolishness to those that do not understand the wisdom of God and it is the power the gospel right Romans 1:16 that it is the power of salvation that for those who understand it and know what it is it is the wisest plan that ever will be because it gives us life and it offers true life and it leads to flourishing and it leads to life that's amazing but Jesus is often pointed out for his wisdom Mark 6:2 he is full of wisdom Matthew 12:42 Someone greater than Solomon is here. So isn't that great? Like that was just like Jesus is like I'll fix that. Solomon was wise, but someone greater than Solomon is here now, right? Because the true wise one, the wise king who will only only and and and, and totally be wise in how he leads and how he rules. Matthew 13:54 The question is of the crowd, where did this man get this wisdom? and these mighty works, because I want a bit of that, right? Like, where did he get that from? Because I want some. That's the question. Over and over and over again, Jesus is talked about as being full of wisdom. So how do we attain wisdom? Well, by apprenticing and learning under the one who is fully wise. Colossians 2, 3 says that in him, in Christ, are hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Allison prayed that this morning too. There's the treasures of wisdom that we get to explore and be in awe of. And then in 1 Corinthians 1, Christ is called the power and wisdom of God. I'll stop there, there's several more examples, but just so we understand what's happening there, wisdom is not to be taken for ourselves; it's to be received by the one who has truly embodied it. The one who is full of it, to apprentice after, to be corrected by, to be taught by, to learn from. That's what it means to be a disciple. The Greek word disciple means learner. It means student. And that's what, this is. that's what this is. That we're invited to come after the one who is truly wise and fully wise. Not just intellectual stuff, but a relational knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. Right? This is why Paul can say in, in Colossians 4, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Well, how can we walk in wisdom towards outsiders if we don't actually follow after the one who is fully and truly wise? Well, we can't. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 makes this exact point for us, and we'll close here. 5, verse 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding. Do you see that invitation? What's the result? Well, in all your ways, know him, and he will make your paths straight. Now listen, we live so much of our daily life deciding what our path is. We make the path. Right? We're just like, well, I'm gonna go this way. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna live like this. I'm gonna buy this. I'm gonna live here. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna make this decision, right? And we get it backwards because that's not actually the starting posture of the wise. The starting posture of the wise is the fear of the Lord. The starting posture of the wise is trusting in the Lord with everything. There's nothing off the table. Everything that I have is on the table, and I'm gonna start to walk towards it, and He will make my path straight. You see the difference? You see the posture? That we are submitting our ideas and plans, our versions of wisdom, what we think is right, what we think will make us win or succeed in life. We submit it all to the one who is truly wise, and then our paths will be made straight. It's obedience to God's word and living in line with his wisdom that changes our lives. So I would say that wisdom, ultimately, when we're experiencing it, it's nothing complicated but it is costly. Because it costs us humility. It costs us control. It's saying that I'm actually going to trust you, God, with everything. That's where discipleship begins. But it's not complicated because honestly, wisdom really is just maturity in every area of life. And you know that that's not always going to happen in every area of life at any time. But any of us who have been around longer than... I think like 23 is like when your frontal lobe is like, I'm the best person in the world to then. Maybe I'm not, right? Like, and then, and then life gets different from there, right? But I think any of us who've been around long enough understand that we can at least look at areas of our life and be like, oh mean, praise God, there's been maturity and growth in that area. I've grown in this area, praise God. Right, not, not bigging ourselves up and be like, oh, I'm so amazing, because you're the fool if you do that, right? But it's to actually look, be able to take stock of your life and be like, praise God that there's evidence of grace in my life. Thank you that there's progress, Lord. Thank you that I'm seeing growth. Thank you that I'm seeing maturity in others around me. Thank you that I'm able to actually uh, stoke maturity and growth holistically in the people around me. That's a community of wisdom. Amen? That's a community of people knowing that we don't need to perform. That the wisest thing we can do sometimes is admitting our own weakness and our failure. It's being correctable. It's being teachable. It's being the one not in control. Saying, God, direct our path. That's a community of wisdom. And that's what wisdom looks like as we follow after Jesus. Now, Deuteronomy 4, 6 says, keep God's commands and do them, right? Do them. Like, don't just, like, keep them and, like, quote them and, like, put them on your family chalkboard, right? Like, do them because that's your wisdom in the sight of all people, okay? Don't, don't miss this. This is how we're going to end, okay? We're ending right here. Don't miss that. Keeping God's commandments and doing them is your wisdom in the sight of all the people who, when they hear and see, they will say, surely this people is a wise and understanding people. Family, we need a witness of wisdom in a culture that is so desperate for it. And it starts with us. It starts right here. Because imagine, imagine what the world would look like and sound like if they were able to look at the church and think, what a wise people. Imagine? Not like, what a divided people, what a silly people, what a foolish people. Like, why are they always arguing about nonsense and things that don't matter? Just like, because we're very smart. It's like, no, you're a fool. Right? What, what would happen if the world was able to look at the church and say, what a wise people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut up. I'm going to shut up and listen to what the church has to say. Because there's something so different qualitatively about their character and their integrity and the way that they operate and the way they live and the way they treat each other and the way they treat people who deserve nothing. Because they know that they deserve nothing and have experienced only forgiveness and love and the grace of God. That would be a community of wisdom. If only we were known for a wisdom that can only come from God our world wouldn't be able to stop paying attention to us. But it wouldn't be for foolishness. It would be because of that. So here's what we're going to do. Maybe you've been able to identify a little bit of where you're at on this. And again, growth that, that you've seen in your life and wisdom that you've been able to say, yeah, it's there, it's growing. And maybe you've been able to identify some other things of like, that's, that's foolishness. i got to make some changes. i got to go the diff- a different way with that. Or I have to think about this different. i got to change my mind about that. James 1.5. Remember, the half-brother of Jesus, okay, who got to live with Jesus as a sibling of Jesus says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask God who gives generously. That's what we're gonna do right now, okay? So before we kind of get back in and sing and celebrate and respond, let's do that. Wherever you know that you need wisdom, let's pray for it. Let's ask the God who is generously wanting to give us that. Maybe you don't even know where you need it yet, and that's the posture, Of Lord, humble me. Let me start with a posture of of being correctable, of being teachable, of being humble. Okay, let me pray for us to that end, and then we'll take a minute to pray personally, and then we'll sing. Father, thank you that we don't have to have it all figured out. That even on our best days and our best performance, Uh, To you, it's not impressive and it doesn't need to be. So our failures, where we're not pursuing wisdom right now, even in places that we are just utterly failing and not seeing things happen in the way that we think they should, I pray that you would meet us in that. I pray that we would experience more wisdom and grace from you because you are generous with it. I pray that you would relieve us of any feelings of guilt or shame that are associated with, with performance, and that we would look to you and what you have done on our behalf at the cross. That it's foolishness to people who would look and say that, that 2,000 years ago, a Jewish rabbi named Jesus lived life as God in flesh and laid his life down and picked it back up again to offer life to everyone. That that is foolishness. It's folly to those who do not understand it and have not experienced it. But to th- those of us who have, it is the power of God for salvation. I pray that we would celebrate that and marvel at that, and be in awe of that, and you would change us from the inside out. And I pray for us as a church, for your church across this city, across this beautiful country, that we would be a people of wisdom. Not of hot takes, not of outrage, not of division, not of majoring on things that ultimately do not matter, but people of wisdom. And that would start with humility and a knowledge of you and who you are. We love you and we thank you. We ask all these things in the only name that ever will ever matter, in Jesus name. Amen.